Welcome to the Talking Tall Rounds series, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Tall Rounds. Today's topic is on inherited cardiomyopathies, and uh, it is an important cause of heart failure and sudden death across all age groups. Um, Patients with uh, inherited cardiomyopathies are frequently asymptomatic or they are often unsuspected, and yet they may be diagnosed incidentally or uh, as a result of family screening. So um, with the broad adoption of genetic testing, we uh, started to approach many of them uh, over the course of the last decade, and uh, we approached these complex inherited um, heart conditions with experienced multidisciplinary teams that take care of patients and their families, both in the adult and the pediatric world. So today we'll discuss some common approaches and uh, challenges in the multi-generational care of uh, at-risk patient families, uh, patients with uh, inherited cardiomyopathy. We'll start with a case. A 47-year-old woman diagnosed with non-obstructive hypertrophic cardiomyopathy uh, back in 1984 when she was young after an episode of sudden cardiac death from VT. She uh, survived and uh, received an ICD. Uh, at that time, they actually still uh, use an endocardial patch. She subsequently had multiple generator changes and uh, has been followed by our electrophysiology uh, staff uh, for some time. Um, over the last decade, she has uh, progressive symptoms uh, of heart failure uh, because of the restrictive cardiomyopathy and stage three diastolic dysfunction. And she was admitted with uh, recurrent atrial flutter and AFib with presyncope events and ICD shocks, uh, despite uh, having an ablation and uh, have elevated anti-proBNP levels. This is her echocardiogram. You can actually see, you know, there is uh, a cardiac hypertrophy uh, by atrial enlargement and uh, very stiff hearts. So she was readmitted um, about two years ago with a low output state to the heart failure ICU uh, with elevated filling pressures and impaired cardiac index. A balloon pump was placed and she was listed and subsequently underwent heart transplant and has been doing well since. Now, um, at the time when she saw us about uh, 10 years ago, uh, we actually referred them to our uh, genetic counselors who elicit the family history that, that she has a paternal uncle that died suddenly at the age of 25. Parents uh, are both healthy though and had had clinical screening that did not see any abnormalities in uh, echocardiogram. She did have the daughter at the time with normal echocardiogram. Uh, genetic testing at that time showed a troponin T mutation with uh, a substitution of lysine to, to glycine at 93. Uh, the residue uh, uh, position with an intramesense change. And at that time, it was uh, found to be uh, likely disease-causing, although the genetic testing report uh, mentioned that this was a completely novel uh, discovery. Um, interestingly, uh, Titan mutations, uh, sorry, not Titan, uh, troponin T mutations have been uh, recognized over uh, the past decades to be an important uh, trigger of uh, arrhythmogenesis and restrictive cardiomyopathy, and in part uh, because of its increased calcium sensitivity. 
And we actually see the area in 93 is close to the most common uh, genetic variant of uh, at the position 94, which has been associated with hypertrophic chymopathy as well as arrhythmogenesis. So um, the family actually deferred genetic testing until uh, she was 12 years old uh, uh, for their personal uh, decision. In part also because at that time, that variant uh, in ClinVar was still deemed variant of unknown significance because it was first described uh, and has no uh, prior reports. Uh, the daughter actually has had annual echo and EKG uh, monitored locally with slight change uh, detected in 2017 when the ventricular dimensions start to become slightly hypertrophy. However, she had a syncopal event during sports training at exactly is the same age as her parent, uh, as, her, as her mother. Um, and the MRI uh, during that time did not show any scar. Um, nevertheless, because of the event, she had an ICD play. She's currently treated with Topolo, and she's uh, healthy at the senior high school um, right now. So this case actually highlights that uh, um, the uh, genetic variant, obviously, when diagnosed, uh, allows us to actually gain insights into the reason why both her and her mother, uh, her and the outpatient and her daughter uh, had such manifestation. I think we will continue with the theme uh, of looking at a bigger picture as it relates to uh, at-risk family members. Uh, here are my conflicts. Uh, I am running a clinical trial sponsored by Bristol Myers Squibb in the space, HCM space. So some simple math as it relates to hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Genetic testing and everything is great, but let's just walk through this. This is autosomally transmitted. As of right now, there's about 100,000 patients diagnosed with HCM in the United States, of which uh, two-thirds are obstructive, and the rest walk around with a diagnosis of non-obstructive. Assuming a prevalence of one in 500, there's about 600,000 other patients, human beings in the United States that could potentially have HCM uh, that have not been diagnosed. And if you base this, um, if you expand this math uh, globally, there's about 16 million, of which almost 14 million are undiagnosed. So there's a lot to be done. There's a lot to be done in this, in this space, in, cardiomyopathy, in inherited cardiomyopathy space. So how do you deal with HCM family members? As was detailed, it is crucial to take a detailed three-generation family history, strongly recommend discussion with a genetic counselor, uh, and then they can decide whether or not to do uh, further genetic testing. A lot of people have different uh, beliefs and values, and but the genetic counselors, are, I find, are incredibly helpful. Recommend screening of all first-degree relatives. A lot of times patients will say, can I get my grandkid tested? I'm like, let's start with your kids and your siblings before we jump on to grandkids. And uh, as we will talk, uh, it could be using a combination of genetic testing and or clinical screening uh, with imaging. So genetic testing, it is beautiful. It is fine and dandy. Uh, there's lots and lots of genes that have been identified in the context of HCM. A uh, lot of seminal work done in this. How do you deal with uh, genetic counseling? So obviously you need to start with the index case 
And you hope when you order the gene testing that the genetic testing is positive because then you can do something about it. If the genetic testing is positive, then as has been alluded to, uh, you go with targeted testing of that gene mutation. Too often, what we have is a negative genetic test or my favorite variant of unknown significance where I have no idea what to do. Uh, so what we do, we still have to be physicians and take care of the patient as well as their family members. So targeted testing in gene positive patients, gene negative patients, what I tell them is science may not have evolved around right now, maybe come back in three to five years. Variant of unknown significance, same conversation. So Genetic testing in HCM, lots of genes identified. However, this is based on uh, Mayo and Toronto data. If you take 100 patients that look like HCM, the gene positive rate is less than 40%. So we still have to be physicians in the rest of the 60 plus percent patients that walk into your clinic. Please remember that. There's lots of work being done. This is just a slide I've taken from uh, this large uh, multi-center share registry. Uh, the whole purpose of this is to show that there's science evolving, lots of stuff going on, and more work to come, more results will be, will be available. The important thing is I am not aware of a single genetic mutation that puts you at a higher risk than other. So that is the key thing to remember. What do you do with the genotype positive, phenotype negative patient, either in proband or family member? The questions I ask is, is this really phenotype negative? Just because there's no hypertrophy does not make them uh, no HCM. Does exercise advanced progression? Is the risk for sudden cardiac death similar to that in overt HCM? Should they get prophylactic therapies? What about athletic activities? There's no real conclusive answers. There's only strong opinions and quotation guidelines, which are generally based on consensus opinions. This is the case that we saw years ago now. Genetic positive, uh, phenotype negative. This person was told he has nothing going on. Uh, he was MYBPC3 positive and true symptoms. No diagnosis till we provoked him. And the only thing we found is there's no hypertrophy, this, this very abnormal papillary muscle. This was one of the earlier ones that we diagnosed, which led to our developed understanding of that whole field of non-hypertrophic obstructive HCM variant. Clinical screening of asymptomatic relatives, or first-degree relatives, typically it is EKG and echo. In PEDS, as will be discussed, you do this every one to two years. All other children and adolescents, every two to three years. In adults, we recommend uh, every three to five years. However, cannot underscore the importance of one thing. When in doubt, if the phenotype looks a little funky, go for the gold. Go for, do a stress echo, do a CMR, go for a full evaluation. Don't just stop at an EKG and an echo. This is a publication from a few years ago now, which suggested that echo alone, uh, clearly by the nature of its creation, CMR would be a little bit more sensitive than, than echo. Uh, so when in doubt, if you do not see the walls well, go for a CMR. Don't hesitate in suspicious cases. Lifestyle, sports, for most patients with HCM, mild to moderate intensity recreational exercise is okay. 
for athletes, uh, shared discussion making, shared decision making is crucial before you clear them. And who are gene positive, phenotype negative? Uh, uh, I think there's more and more data that suggests it is okay to participate in sports. Of course, shared decision making is uh, crucial. Pregnancy, again, it is, I, I always say it is safe in an experience center, you will be well managed. But it is also important to manage comorbidities so that things don't crop up down the road because you are adding fuel to the fire. Moderate intensity aerobic activity is beneficial. This is data from Michigan, which suggests uh, you, you're more active, your peak VO2 is better. And you know, if there's one thing you need to learn, higher the peak VO2, the better you are gonna do in life. So this is a recently published data from the Vanish trial, where the authors, uh, uh, Cleveland Clinic was also part of this uh, trial, uh, gave valsartan in early stage hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and it, they found all the markers, EORE prime, wall thickness, uh, end diastolic volume, BNP, everything trended in the right direction in the valsartan group versus the placebo group. The last thing is the business of genetics and uh, gene editing, et cetera. This is still a concept that is being uh, developed, evolving, but there's data that suggests you can, in, uh, you can uh, influence the passing down stream of, of HCM uh, by doing some gene editing. More to come in this space as the years go by. Thank you. I'll try to uh, sum up my clinical practice in the next seven minutes, so buckle up your seatbelts. Um, I have no disclosures. Um, so the two main objectives of my talk are uh, to discuss the challenges that I face in my role as a pediatric cardiomyopathy specialist when I'm caring for children with inherited cardiomyopathy or who are at risk for inherited cardiomyopathy, and then briefly highlight some pediatric-specific cardiomyopathies that I encounter um, when I'm taking care of these patients. Uh, so just to sort of start off, the annual incidence of pediatric cardiomyopathies is, is extremely low. So it's 1.1 to 1.5 per 100,000 children. Um, and the gene yield or the gene positivity yield um, is probably the highest for those with uh, pediatric HCM, and it's still less than 60%, uh, but it's precipita precipitously lower for children with dilated cardiomyopathies or non-compaction cardiomyopathies or restrictive cardiomyopathies. And I think that's where, you know, leveraging what we have at our institution, uh, where there's the seamless transition between pediatric and adult providers is so important because as you see in the, in the last sentence, uh, even in the most experienced centers, uh, there are patients who fall off uh, in the transition from screening, uh, you know, when you have a child screening, the adult and so on and so forth. Um, and in these two studies, what they identified was less than 70% of at-risk relatives completed gene testing when there was a gene-positive proband, and less than 60% completed cardiac screening, which is essentially recommended for everyone. So the first challenge that I have when I'm discussing with the patient is, the, is, is to highlight, uh, with the help of a genetics team, is the presence of a pathogenic variant does not mean that the patient will manifest that phenotypically as has been highlighted throughout the talk. And that underscores the importance of the concept of variable penetrance. And then the second aspect is that not all family members, you know, this is a common question that gets asked to me when I'm looking at multiple children, is not all will have the same manifestation clinically or at the same point in time. And that's why continued surveillance is so important. And that underscores the principle of variable expressivity. 
there are two types of genetic testing that I use in my clinic. One is called the diagnostic testing that Joseph talked about, in which I have a clinical suspicion for a child with some form of cardiomyopathy, and I order a dedicated gene panel to identify the underlying gene. And then the second is what we call as a risk predictive testing or cascade testing, when one of my adult colleagues have identified the proband with a pathogenic or likely pathogenic variant, and all we are trying to do is identify if the child under my care has the same exact pathogenic mutation. I think this cannot be emphasized enough. I think uh, the concept that you're testing a vulnerable population group, and we'll get to that in a little bit, you know, understanding that giving a child a genetic diagnosis that they're going to carry on for life carries a, a huge emotional burden and a psychological burden, not only for the child, but for the family. Um, in, in a condition where there is variable penetrance and expressivity is extremely important. And I think that's where we leverage as a, as a, as a group of clinicians with a lot of expertise here at the clinic. Um, and again, sort of highlighting that a positive gene test cannot predict who will develop the phenotypic manifestation, uh, nor the severity of the manifestation of the disease. This is extremely important and very different than what my adult colleagues practice, you know, patient autonomy. For all of our adults, they can give consent for, for whatever testing that is required. But even in our pediatric practice or in my practice, I do take assent, which is, you know, making our children, especially our teenagers, understand the rationale for the genetic testing and the implications of the genetic testing, and then getting expressed approval when it's possible. But then, you know, the challenge that I face is I'm often facing these neonates, infants, young toddlers who are not even able to provide assent, but where a genetic diagnosis is important and can alter the outlook of the disease. So just to give you two specific examples, I took care of a child who had a homozygous MYB PC3 mutation in Amish um, had severe infantile hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and these patients typically do need a heart transplant, and he did undergo a heart transplant and is thriving since then. And then the other are patients with dystrophin mutation who have Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. In this particular condition, you know, early initiation of an ACE inhibitor can, can delay the progression or onset of cardiomyopathy, and in these circumstances, we often do have to go undergo genetic testing without their assent. Important to highlight this. I think all of us in this room understand that when we're testing for a gene condition, especially with the, the, the rapid proliferation of what genes can be tested, um, you know, Joseph, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, the, the primary gene panel that we use has 86, the pancardomyopathy panel has 86, 87 genes, and then you can test for an additional 36 genes. So you may find certain variants, not of uncertain significance, but really medical significance that is unrelated to the reason the genetic testing was ordered. And in those circumstances, having that strong multidisciplinary team and leaning on our genetic counselors and geneticists is so important. So again, I think in specific to children, when I'm making a phenotypic diagnosis, what I do know from the limited literature that we have in children is there is a lot of genetic overlap between the different kinds of cardiomyopathies. And hence, we typically start off with a pan-cardiomyopathy panel. And in cascade testing, it's relatively easier in which you're just screening for the pathogenic variant that was identified in the first degree relative uh, who has the phenotypic manifestation. So yeah, so I, just sort of highlighting very quickly about the pediatric considerations and the kids that we've taken care of. Unlike our adult colleagues where we have certain inherited uh, genes that are associated with certain phenotypes, 
there are a lot of syndromic and inherited and inborn errors in metabolism and neuromuscular diseases that we take care of. So the first one is Pompe's disease in which you have an infant with severe HCM. Uh, it's a glycogen storage disease. Enzyme replacement therapy in this circumstance can, can reverse some of the cardiac manifestations. And that's why diagnosing it is so important. Then we have a full cohort of Denon disease here. Again, LAMP2 mutation where the patients have skeletal and uh, myopathies and intellectual disabilities. The males are often more affected than females and the cardiac manifestation again is HCM. Often these patients do end up uh, undergoing heart transplant. Then we have resopathies that was touched upon a little bit. You know, kids with Noonan syndrome, they have certain phenotypic manifestations that are extra cardiac that would give you the di uh, uh, a hint as to what uh, the syndromic uh, or the other association is. They have short stature, they have HCM, but they also have pulmonic stenosis and secondometrial septal defect. Uh, kids that we take care of uh, with muscular dystrophies, again, Duchenne's muscular dystrophy patients typically have early cardiorespiratory failure in the second decade um, and have uh, dilated cardiomyopathies. Uh, there has been an, incre an increasing trend um, in the pediatric age group to support some of these kids if they have limited uh, you know, respiratory involvement to put a DTVAD, uh, which is typically not done in pediatrics. But then our kids with Beckers who typically manifest more in the adulthood, and I'm sure my adult colleagues see them. Um, again, taking care of kids with mitochondrial disease, um, they are uh, rapidly evolving, can have multiple organ systems affected. I've had patients who we've lost because they had multiple organ systems affected, but then kids like current Sayre syndrome, where you have cardiac conduction issues like complete AV block or ventricular tachycardia. Uh, the phenotypic manifestation here is dilated cardiomyopathy, but they also have uh, ocular manifestations. Uh, specific to Barth syndrome, this is a specific type of, of syndrome in which you have LV non-compaction as the cardiac manifestation, but you it's X-linked, so more prevalent in boys, has associated with tafazin mutation, um, and these patients have neutropenia and skeletal myopathy. And then finally, Friedrich's ataxia, which is patients have not only HCM as the cardiac manifestation, but they also have arrhythmias, dysarthria, and ataxia. And again, what I'm trying to highlight is that these are different syndromes all within the inherited cardiomyopathy umbrella where it's extremely important to involve a multidisciplinary team. A pediatric cardiomyopathy specialist like myself is just one member, but then you have neuromuscular specialists, neurologists, geneticists, and counselors who are extremely important in taking care of these children. And the uh, overall outlook for these children is very different. So the, so the overall uh, trajectory in which they progress is so different. Uh, addressing family hesitation, a common question that gets asked to me, which is as simple as, you know, what uh, are the costs associated with it? Would the insurance cover this? And I think that's where our genetic counselors are so valuable in explaining and, and in many cases offsetting some of these costs. And then the fear about genetic discrimination, as was mentioned by, by my colleagues uh, before, you know, in fact, there is a specific act called the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act came out in 2008, which bars the use of genetic information in health insurance and employment. And this is extremely vital for a, for a kid. A child who you diagnose at age 12 with a genetic condition could face, uh, you know, not only psychological trauma, but uh, discrimination if this uh, information were to get disclosed to uh, other colleagues and, and future employers. And then the psychosocial effects. So this is, I think, the, ch the part that I struggle with the most. Uh, I, had a, I have a child right now who I'm taking care of with lamina mutation. Has, has, um, has a fa has his father had multiple aborted arrests, had ICD, eventually underwent a transplant. And now with this diagnosis, which was after his ascent, um, he's, he's now severely depressed that he has the pathogenic mutation, although he has no phenotypic manifestations. And I think that's where uh, my role is more of a counselor and a guide and explaining to him that there is no need to limit activities at this point, just continued surveillance is required. 
Um, again, one thing that comes through in this talk with all of my colleagues here is that at the clinic, we are well positioned to take care of the of the most complex patients uh, with cardiovascular disease from birth to adulthood. And I think we should leverage that. Uh, genetic testing should be considered for ch children who have higher pretest probability and throwing a fishnet out there with whole exome sequencing is probably not the smartest idea. Um, and the timing of testing, I think that's where the American Medical Ethics uh, Association ethics comes into play is you have to understand as a specialist the likelihood of the pediatric phenotypic expression, the availability of therapies, uh, and the psychological distress to the child and the family by disclosing a genetic condition that may not manifest itself in the, in the, in the pediatric realm. Shared decision-making is extremely, extremely, extremely important. I know Dr. Desai touched on it. Um, in my practice, if the patients are gene positive, phenotype negative, I let them uh, practice um, uh, competitive sports uh, without any restriction. But again, having that engaging conversation, calling in the families, calling in the child, uh, making them a part of the collective decision-making is extremely important. And, um, you know, these kids are going to have more children. And I know it was touched upon before, but reproductive counseling is extremely important. When such children want to have kids and they do want to have kids and live their lives, you want to make sure that they are well positioned and have had a chance to talk to our genetic counselors. Thank you so much for your attention. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Like what you heard? Visit Tall Rounds online at clevelandclinic.org slash tallrounds and subscribe for free access to more education on the go.